Hey, welcome to another episode of Pod for the Planet, the best podcast for discussion about the environment, politics, and our society today. We're recording this uh, the last week of January 2020, and about almost a year ago, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey stood in front of the U.S. Capitol and re- unveiled their plan for a Green New Deal. And right after that, the media and everyone lost their damn minds about it. Yes, yeah, true. These damn liberals. Am I right? <laughs> taking our cows um so uh a year after that i think it's important to look back on what we've been through politically uh and as an environmental movement uh and just reflect on how far we've come and how much farther we have to go on actually enacting a green new deal and fully realizing what a green new deal is and what it'll look like going into the next decade we've honestly been through a lot I feel like 2019 felt like three years in one, um, yet somehow felt like it went by insanely fast. Um, I feel like that's every year. That's time is a flat circle. What? Anyway, a clock. Um, (laughs) I lost my train of thought. I forgot what I was saying. Um, and, in order to look forward about the Green New Deal, in this episode today, uh, we are going to be talking about the environmental ethics and just the ethics in general of the Green New Deal and why it is important at all to have something like this. So, let's get into it. Do y'all have any questions about the Green New Deal? Because I've read that thing forward and backward, up, down, left, and right, and... I'm ready to answer some of y'all questions. My, I, so, like, I know about it. Obviously, I know about it. I'm an environmental studies major, but, like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a liar and say that I did maybe skim some of the sections. (laughs) I skim. I send. But I, what I don't understand is, like, it's being perp- like the way we talk about it is like it's this crazy freaking idea and it's like pretty like pretty normal you know mm-hmm. i so- just don't understand where that like that that conversation is coming from besides the fact that it's from coming from aoc i i see the green new deal as just like 14 pages 14 right yeah, it's 14, okay, pages. 14 pages of showing our political leaders for them to understand the scale of the problem mm-hmm. and what understanding the problem and what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Like that's just flat, like the basis of the Green New Deal. That's what I think of it. Yeah. And for all intents and purposes, uh, that's exactly what AOC's and Ed Markey's version their resolution that's exactly what that is um but it's important to note that the version of the green new deal that has been popularized in the media and that has been attacked and criticized so heavily isn't the only version that exists 
the Green New Deal is actually the idea for it. What do you has, mean by that? Uh, the concept of the Green New Deal as like a framework for policy and environmental action that can be taken to curb the effects of man-made climate change has been around since the early 2000s and has actually taken multiple forms. So like, for instance, the Green Party of the United States has its own Green New Deal proposal that is that was in existence actually in 2016. Jill Stein ran on that Green New Deal proposal in as part of her platform. Um, and that wasn't something that was popularized. And it actually goes so far as to have more intense uh, cuts on certain things. And it's a more ambitious proposal. Uh, the outline that is in the AOC and Ed Markey version of the Green New Deal, which has been picked up by uh, politicians such as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren uh, and groups like the Sunrise Movement is what has been what's been uh, kind of over the past two decades uh, whittled down and kind of perfected uh, on the progressive side of the political spectrum. Um, and it doesn't actually have any set policy initiatives. It's just like you said, what we need to do right now to get us somewhere where we are avoiding the worst possible scenario and it doesn't get us to a place where we aren't avoiding any impact at all it's not a solution that will fix all the problems but it's the best solution for making sure we don't have the worst of all the problems hmm. hold that thought what's all I'm going to take my sweatshirt off real fast. I'm sweating after that explanation. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Uh, okay. I feel like the main argument against the Green New Deal is definitely more on the economic side, considering mm -hmm. that, like, yes, there's a chance of new industries and new... Um, jobs being created by the Green New Deal, but you're also decimating other jobs such as coal mining mm -hmm. or anything that's related to fossil fuel development. Mm -hmm. it, it's so challenging because, I mean, those people in <clears throat> those communities have like already been so devastated and like they need that economic push, but they're also like the reason they're so decimated is at the hands of the coal industry and the oil industry, which is just like, it's not going to get better unless these policies are put in place, unless there's new jobs growing, mm -hmm. but it's hard to tell someone like, Oh, I know it's bad, but wait, it's got to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. You can't tell that to a family, which yes. is, but that being said, those families are not going to exist well, if we don't do this the, stuff. The good thing about the Green New Deal is like the first, it's broken up in three parts, the intro, and then the first part is what we need to do, and then the second part is how we're going to support the people that are going to be affected by climate change and also mm -hmm. be affected by the change being caused by the Green New Deal. Right. And the equity, mm. Yeah. that like that whole section yeah. is essential yeah 
so uh since this episode is also a little bit about the ethics i went back to our environmental ethics class last year and i looked back at some of my notes to help uh formulate my thoughts on it um and one interesting that i found from that was a conversation that we had about the different types of policies that are proposed to address climate change as an issue um those are uh mitigating policies adaptation policies and then the wild world of geoengineering options which is like the super anthropocentric outlandish option um and what the green new deal proposal focuses on is the first two uh the more manageable mitigating the climate disaster uh and how to adapt for it and how to ensure like you said abs that those communities that have already been impacted and those communities that are on the front lines of it are being protected actively instead of passively right you know like another the whole like sunrise movement they're one of their like slogans is what's your plan and the thing is about this is like this is the best bet that we have right now, which, and it's like not even being talked about. I mean, it is in certain areas, but it's not everywhere being talked about like a legitimate proposal, which is insane. But like, what are there other options that other people are proposing that compare? Like, do y'all know anything about that? So there are, Currently, the Green New Deal is like the biggest and the the only mainstreamed policy. I, I don't I want to I don't want to accidentally call it a policy proposal, but it, it's the only outline for a policy package that could theoretically be passed in the immediate future as a vehicle for a variety of policies that'll solve the climate crisis. Because this is another important thing is that because climate change is an issue is so complex it need it can't be fixed by just one thing and i think that's what's a little daunting about the green new deal is that it doesn't address one specific policy issue it addresses three four five issues that are connected so deeply that they cannot be addressed on their own right um one other thing that I wanted to bring up real fast uh, before we move on, because Abs, you brought up uh, the Sunrise Movement and we were talking a little bit about justice, uh, is the different types of justice um, and how this connects to environmental justice and how equity and equality is a huge part of the third half of the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. Um and so those the types of justice, there's universal justice, which is based on equality, on rights accorded to people simply based on them being a human. Those are the rights, the basic human rights that we all hopefully are receiving. Um, then there's distributive justice, which is the fair distribution of costs and benefits. Uh, and so the benefits are proportionate to the need uh, and the costs are proportionate to the benefits associated with any given uh, issue or any given uh, task. And then finally, there's retributive justice, which is equal and impartial treatment under the law. 
Um, essentially, the example that is used with this typically is that the punishment is proportionate to the crime. Right. Uh, an eye for an eye. Exactly. Ha- the hammer of Abi. Code of hammer Abi. Yeah. <laughs> you said hammer? Yeah, that was a joke from from AP World History oh. in high school. <laughs> the hammer of well, Abi. That was deep and a deep, deep cut, and I'm shocked and confused that you thought I was gonna get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digging deep for this stuff now. I mean, so they also talk about in the same framework, like the, the a just transition, mm-hmm. right? Um, and. I think one of the interesting points that is brought up that people talk about is like this, we're going to have to make this transition regardless and it's going to happen regardless, but ensuring that it happens in a way that doesn't absolutely wreck communities um, Mm -hmm. is essential, an essential piece of this. Because if we wait too long, we're going to have to make the transition overnight and that is going to absolutely tear apart communities. I would much rather go through some kind of like economic, political, social, like uh, upheaval, upheaval, than be faced with a future that will most likely absolutely suck. Mm-hmm. So. For, for me, it's like the Green New Deal to like mobilize it. I know it, it's estimated costing around the trillions, right? Mm-hmm. So it's either that or we don't do anything and we allow climate change to take away lives and also trillions of dollars worth of property damage. Mm-hmm. So on top of on top, everything else. Yeah. So it's actually... Uh, super interesting that you brought up the price tag of it because aside from like people losing their cows and not being able to ride in planes and people take getting their cars taken away the price tag is like one of the biggest uh, is one of the biggest criticisms of the Green New Deal proposal um, the, the we, main question is is how do we pay for it um, and I think before we move on to that can we address that it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to like come to your house and literally take your car and cow away. Oh yes. That is That's not part of it. That, <laughs> that is that it sounded like someone's like knocking on your door and being like, give me your cow right the fuck now. I'm give me that cow. So I guess I'm confused because I imagined that I would definitely have a job <laughs> being a cow wrangler. I was so excited <laughs> to go steal people's cows. Damn. Dang. 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 Like you could do it like a like an outlaw kind of way, like you're a bounty hunter. <laughs> and then like people that are like hardcore like environmentalists, they'll like pay you money to like kill cows. Damn. And then you'll like be out in the road with your motorcycle and be a bounty hunter. It, it's funny because I I can't eat beef. Beef hurts my stomach. There so, you go. So it's like I have a personal have vendetta. A, yes, a backstory. <laughs> well, let's write a comic book about this. Disclaimer, God. the the Green New Deal resolution for the TLDR of it is that you you will not lose your car. You're still allowed to ride in airplanes. Personal, the Green New Deal proposal essentially 
is not going to affect people's individual choices. It aims to change the systems that we live so our individual choices don't have the same climate impact that they do already. TLDR, Green New Deal. Anyway, just um, wanted to clarify that. Yeah. No sneaking, no snatching your cows up. We're here like, yeah, you know, the Green New Deal is great, but uh, <laughs> say goodbye to your Honda Civic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, back to the the price tag of it going back to the concept of um distributive justice uh when people talk about how do you plan on paying for it i like to point the finger to the fact that there's been trillions of trillions of dollars spent in the past decade on fossil fuel subsidies by the federal government from tax dollars from american citizens you and i and all of that money that's spent on that time could be spent if it was just diverted towards different sources of energy or towards different avenues could be used in the next 10 years to help pay for policy proposals like the Green New Deal. And my thing is, how do you plan on play, paying for climate change? Exactly. <laughs> like, well, they don't plan on okay, being there for climate change. Yeah, you're right. You can't pay if you can't be if you're not there. Is the thing. But like that's that's their argument. Like, oh well, how do you plan on paying for this? Mm -hmm. I don't know. How do you plan on paying for all of the destruction to infrastructure to exactly life to our food systems to everything to our water quality? Not just that, but like it's easy to quantify like the costs of like replacing like let's say homes mm -hmm. or like infrastructure, but. Not exactly. It's not exactly easy to quantify like the psychological trauma of let's say like next to a impossible massive, a massive yeah. hurricane. Like um, when Hurricane Katrina happened, there is a study that a lot um, was it many of the people that experienced the event have PTSD. So uh, there's also that psychological trauma. Mm -hmm. Like later, I mean, the, the people of. Puerto Rico are experiencing insane natural disasters mm -hmm. right now that are constant. There's, I mean, there's so much that you can't even put a price tag on. Mm -hmm. And it's, how and, you going to pay for that? And the thing is, is that we've already started to see the impacts that, that altered natural disasters can have on it. Uh, there's been plenty of superstorms. There's been sporadic flooding in the Midwest. Um, there's been flooding events across the world in catastrophic wildfires and bushfires. And the fact that we're already seeing the impacts of it, we need to we need to look backwards uh, and look at the history and say, okay, so who has done most of the polluting? And this goes to the other another criticism of the Green New Deal, which is that why should we in the United States and the developed world, why should we make such a drastic change if places in the developing world, China and India, are going to be doing what we just came from? Why should we put our industry in peril like that? Um, First of all, <laughs> where the fuck do you think all that shit they're making in China is going? Exactly. Here, here, America. Mm -hmm. um, when going back to the ethics of it, there's another conversation that we had in our class last year about 
who pays for global pollution. Um, and there's the three concepts of that. Uh, there are certain countries that have just decided that they have no obligation. Uh, and then there are two other pathways that are a bit more realistic. Uh, the first is that the polluter pays for the impacts of the, of the pollution that they have. So let's say uh, ExxonMobil or BP has an oil spill somewhere in the world. Um, they are the ones who have to pay for that environmental degradation. Um but for something on the scale of, let's say, a natural disaster that was caused by climate change, the other way that is typically uh, talked about is the country that has the ability to pay for it, which is a bit more fair. So if there's a country like China or India who is polluting, but their country is not developed enough to pay for the pollution that they are doing, ethically speaking, the United States who is a developed nation who also did the same thing, we should be ethically responsible for paying for some of that pollution because we did it before them and we are part of the reason why they are following in our footsteps, if if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the same concept behind, like, when, when we're like, oh, we shouldn't let immigrants from south america come into our country because we didn't you know it's not our fault that there's things happening there but like it is our fault because we, we didn't interfere right exactly so it's like yeah no it's it's a, it's our situation i think it would be good charles if you just ran through the main points of the green new deal it's like funny. the top the bullets so it's funny you say that Be before i do this disclaimer uh the thursday after this episode airs uh check out my crash course episode talking all about the history of the green new deal but here's a little sneak preview of that um so okay plugging your own plug during <laughs> your own show it's a meta plug <laughs> it's like the it's like the meme with barack obama giving himself a medal <laughs> I, I, I'm, <laughs> wow i'm honored so what exactly are the goals of the green new deal uh i don't know charles tell us just kidding i do know but i want to hear them again Point number A, to achieve a net zero greenhouse gas emissions through a fair and just transition for all communities and workers. Dab on it. Ah. Excuse me. <laughs> to create millions of good high-wage jobs and ensure prosperity and economic security for all people of the United States. C, to invest in the infrastructure and industry of the United States to sustainably meet the challenges of the 21st century. D, to secure for all people of the United States for generations to come clean air and water, climate and community resiliency, healthy food, access to nature, and a sustainable environment, and E, to promote justice and equity by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth, referred to in this resolution as frontline and vulnerable communities. Dab Boom. on that shit. So, for those of you listening, 
if you take anything from this episode, take that 40 seconds and share that with anyone you know that fits into that category, any of those categories. Which is probably like most people you know. It's it's I it's mean, all it's most the, people I know. The the goal of it is to ensure that all people, all communities are being protected and being actively thought about in the future planning of any environmental policy. Charles, I have a question. All right. So <laughs> I just got got back from the doctor's office, right? It's hypothetical. Mm-hmm. I did not actually. I right, come back from the <laughs> doctor's office. I was like, are office. you good? <laughs> Turns out I'm impotent. I'm not having children. So I, okay. I go and live up my life. Mm-hmm. I just do everything. And I just don't care about having children. I also don't care about other people's children. Mm-hmm. So why should I care about a future that I'm going to have no one to care about in the future? If I'm not going to have kids. Because Ramel, horrible, terrible, alternate universe Ramel. Hard right Ramel. <laughs> That's hard right Ramel. Because <laughs> hard right Ramel. Um, because these things are happening now, um, like currently and in your lifetime. And these effects you will be seeing in the next several decades. And hard right Ramel, you're not that old. Even if you were 80, you could see stuff happen in the next five years. So I'm going to go about answering this question in a very different way. Cause Abby just appealed to your emotional and your like internal need for it. I'm going to talk about some of the ethics. I, I know. I, I, I know you're going to go through, ethics. go through uh, what we did last semester. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. So you don't want to hear that? No, I do. I but this is <laughs> for this is the hypothetical for those that like don't care about the future because it's not going to affect them. Okay. So I want you to answer the question. So people that feel like, hey, this isn't going to affect me. It's going to affect mm-hmm. the future, or at least what they think is the far future. Can, can I ask you to clarify on this hypothetical? How old are you in this hypothetical? Are you twenty? I twenty one. Let's I, say he's 45. Let's say 45. I'm 45. Okay, you're a 45-year-old uh, pipeman who works on a fracking rig in Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. No, you're. this is a whole... Now you're adding a whole nother level to All it. Right. I think you should work at a bank. All right, you work at a bank. <laughs> I'm a banker. Okay, so Ramel <laughs> is Tommy a... Tommy for- Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> so Ramel is a 45-year-old banker who just came back from the doctor right now and is joining us on this podcast. Turns out he's 100% impotent. <laughs> so, yes. so here's what I'm going to say. There's this concept called the utilitarian principle in ethics, which says that in order to be ethically correct and to be morally on like the right track and make good decisions, you have to choose the action which creates the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. And essentially what that means is that this, this principle, the utilitarian principle emphasizes the collective good over the individual good. That that's that's the ethical reason for why you should care, not necessarily about yourself and about your own future generations that now theoretically you can't have anymore. Sadly, I'm sorry. It's okay. 
I um, knew this was coming. You don't know if he won the kids. Anyway, so you <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> you he doesn't want to bring kids into this wretched world. <laughs> you don't know me. I, I just came from the doctor and I'm just sitting down in a chair. Like I just met you. And this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what, what I'm going to say is, is that I, I think that you, if I was talking to someone who's actually in, in this mindset, I would say that the utilitarian principle, you want to benefit the greatest amount of people in your immediate area and your immediate societal sphere. So let's say people in the country that you've never met before. Um, who would be imme- more immediately impacted because you were connected to them in ways that you don't know yet, be it through social chains. Let's say you work at a bank. Your job, your entire existence, your livelihood depends on the economic stability of the of the society that you live in and climate change and the impacts that climate change will have on people who aren't necessarily immediately close to you when they are impacted, they are connected to you in a system that is heavily going to be going to be impacted on orders of magnitude by. I feel like this is a more complicated way to say what I was saying. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm just saying is that you're you're connected. You are connected to people and that ensuring the, the benefit and ensuring the greater good has implications for the self and that it'll it'll come back to you through the social network, through all of the societal systems that are in place. Because at the end of the day, our society, our country, the systems that we live in are in a sense, kind of thinking about like our own histories. Like, like we live in a system that is quite literally too big to we fail. We really do be, be living, living in a society. In a society. A society. Charles, Charles said, Charles took 15 minutes to say, you really be doing living in a society, Mister Banker. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm trying to say that like you're you're. So I should just watch the Joker movie. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Just watch. You'll understand everything you need to know about it. No, I I think this the point of this is that it's going to affect everyone, regardless of whether you care or not it's mm-hmm. it's it affects every level of our society how do you how do you convey that to people that live in the united states where they're like geographically and economically um like insulated mm-hmm. from uh like the worst impacts from the worst yeah the worst impacts of climate change so the way i try to i think the way to do it is humans are at our nature like we are inherently focused on like self-preservation um and i try to connect the like how i did with this like hypothetical i tried to connect the impacts that others will face um through whatever pathway i can find to show that like the greater good in a society like we (laughs) I, I don't think I there's think, a way to say to, no, to I, answer I, this without saying a society. I think you tell stories like I think that you have to talk about people and talk to people about others who they can either see themselves in or see their family in or see their history in um, or just people that they connect with. And I think like tell it, storytelling and showing how this is affecting individuals and how this can affect your community and communities in general 
I think that's what makes a difference. And I maybe it's making a difference real slow like. But I think that's when you get through to people is when you tell stories that remind them of them or remind them of the people that they care about in some way. Society. <laughs> I have a video. Let's 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 watch this video real quick. And we're standing at asking for the new green deal, and we're trying to present this uh, letter that we've made to Senator Feinstein. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the green new deal. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own green new deal piece of legislation. Well, we're trying okay. to we're trying to promote the green new deal. The well, there are reasons why I can't. Because there's no way to pay for it. Yes, there is. Well, That's we have tons of money, money going to the military. Wars. Half of our, a lot of ours is going to the military. But we have come copy. to a point where our earth is dying, literally. And it is going to be a pricey and ambitious plan that is needed to deal with the magnitude of that issue. And so we're here asking you to vote yes on the resolution for the Green New Deal because that is the only thing that resolution that is worth will not pass the Senate. And you can take that back to whoever sent you here. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government and is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all you know for what's the people. For those of you listening who don't remember this because things from a year ago feel like they were 10 years ago uh a group of kids uh young kids uh from the sunrise movement went to senator diane feinstein's office to ask her to support the green new deal resolution and she denied it later on in the video uh before we cut it off uh, there's a line where she said that she has seven grandchildren and she understands the issue. And she's like, I have seven grandchildren. I know what it's like to put them in a bunker where they'll be safe from this, obviously. <laughs> um, and I think that this highlights one of the most stark and most like important aspects of the Green New Deal is that it is ambitious and it is the it's an ambitious first step but a necessary one because if not so many people people that aren't our kids are going to be impacted by it and i think videos like this and stories like this like you said abs are what people can see to see that action needs to be taken now isn't the united states all about ambition we used to be (laughs) i mean it's it reminds me of like when we're all we like compare it to putting a man on the moon and like all of these times where we like came together and i mean came together is a strong word it's like you know did a thing all the times we did a thing and it was like scary and crazy. It's like, okay, we need to be like a little crazy right now or else we're going to die. So like, I don't know. 
get crazy, get stupid. <laughs> like, There's... like, yeah, like you said, we if we like we put a man on the moon, mm-hmm. we were thirteen colonies. That, that so they be... say. What? Did oh. the moon landing even happen? <laughs> Check oh. out on our next podcast episode on moon landings, <laughs> environmental conspiracy theories. Ooh, that's gonna be a series. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, or we were thir- we were thirteen colonies that uh now we're fifty nifty states. Yeah, that that beat the str- like the strongest nation in the world, and then we I went mean- west and expanded our. 13 colonies. This episode's actually Crash Course U.S. History. Yes, and, you know... <laughs> just goes <laughs> the Civil War. <laughs> Reconstruction. Reconstruction. Um, so it's actually... History's super important because... These are big, giant things that people back then were probably like, oh, that's not going to happen. Well, we can't talk effectively about any of the things that are happening today unless we have... An eff- like a effective grasp of the historical context that we come from. And when I was doing the research for this episode and for my Green New Deal crash course episode, I started the research by looking at the original New Deal and looking at the circumstances that led to FDR and a huge democratic supermajority in all the branches of government at the time to be able to pass all of the, the immense series of pieces of legislation that led to like the greatest reform of our government since the creation of our government. Um, and, and I, I don't want to give too much away from the crash course episode, but it, it's super at the time it, I could imagine that it must've seemed impossible to think that a system like social security, like poor people were the largest group, old people, excuse me, Old people were the largest group of impoverished people in the United States before the New Deal, and now the elderly in the United States are some of, are, are is the wealthiest group in America. And I think, like, when we've made these big changes, we haven't. It's it's like this. This is so thought out, you know. Like it's so we we there's so many people and so many smart scientists and policymakers who like have the ability to make this work. And like, it includes tying people who have been at the bottom into these important circles. And like, that's, that's such an important part about it. And like something that hasn't been a part of those big structural changes that we've had in the past. What's up, E. Warren, big structural changes, baby. Um, but like, this is also so, it's so, it's so layered and like, so possible. And there are so many smart people who could make it happen. If we just leaned into the fact that it's scary, like, I lean in. One last ethical principle oh boy. for this. And it's, oh the, boy. It, it's, the, it's, 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 I saved it for last for a reason. It's the concept of Pareto optimality. And it's super simple. Oh boy. It's it's the idea that each generation has a duty to pass on to its successor a total range of resources and opportunities that is at least as good as its own. And I think that for the past 80 years, 
under a fossil fuel regime that Pareto optimality has been reached, that we could say that over the past 80 years, we have seen conditions have gotten better for the most part. But I think that at in that process, that was at the expense of our climate, of ecosystems, of so much environmental degradation that we're quickly approaching a place where end of marginalized communities but we are quickly approaching a point where because of that environmental degradation Pareto optimality will not be reached and therefore a new a, a new regime or massive social upheaval will have to happen and because there are so many smart people working on it like you said abs I think that we we are blessed and cursed with the foresight to see it coming and the ability and, and like we have the technology to fix it, just not the political will at the moment. So that's Pareto optimality. <laughs> Super important concept. Just do it. Yesterday you yesterday you said tomorrow. Yesterday I said tonight. And so it <laughs> and so it is. Um so before we go, do either of you have any final thoughts? Just do it. That's my whole thought, sorry. Mass migration, wildfires, deadly heat stress. I don't want all that. I mean, okay, mass migration. <laughs> yeah, sure, come over, but like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're having a party. Come, come at eleven. Uh, I just realized what I said. I'm not racist. <laughs> <laughs> I, he I means hate, that you don't. I hate you migration. Don't <laughs> you don't want people to have to migrate against their will. Yeah. You don't want people who That's live in Manhattan to move to the Adirondacks. Yes. No, I don't. Too. I don't want. I don't want people to go through their. On their destabilized governments because of us, mm-hmm. and have to be forced to go to somewhere where it's going to be harder. I think, in conclusion, ethically, I feel like our generation and the current generation that is in power is responsible for any of the impacts that we see over the next decade and over the next half a century. And if no action is taken now, history will not look kindly upon the people who are in power at this point in time. And I don't think that... I don't think that there is good enough justification for us to not even try to fix the problems because at the end of the day, all of the stuff that is outlined in the green new deal are changes that would benefit society and benefit our economy and our, excuse me, our economy and our country in ways that are better for all people, including people who have felt left behind. So why not try? I feel that way often, like, okay, maybe we'll end in a climate crisis and we'll go extinct, but you, I'd best not be on the side that wasn't at least trying to make that not happen. 
Anyway, at the end of this episode, I want a tally count of how many times Charles said society, society. and ethic. <laughs> in the, in I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I have a sociology minor and the only classes, the only classes I'm taking this semester, the only classes I'm taking this semester, okay, the only classes I'm taking this semester are sociology classes, so at least I didn't bring up the sociological imagination. Um, I mean, right. you technically did. I know, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, Charles, what's the sociology uh, imagination? Please, please. <laughs> we're, we're, we're over time. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the Green New Deal, please check out my crash course on the Green New Deal and the history behind it and what it means um, this Thursday. Follow us on Instagram also like comment and subscribe and we're always as always we are looking for if you have any questions about the environment about our society about politics about what else what else do we talk about here or if you have any stories to tell that too please shoot us an email shoot us a text message dm us on our instagram or leave a comment on wherever you get your podcasts Thanks. Do, 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 do. The music plays. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pod for the Planet. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a comment with your thoughts. That's the best way to help us get heard by more people. If you really enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends on social media and tag us at Pod for the Planet. See you next time. <laughs>